Welcome to Crawl Space. Lance, tonight what we have is a really kind of fun interview with uh, two cool guys. They uh, they do the True Crime Garage podcast, and we have a real kind of honest chat with them about the business of podcasting, about the Maura Murray case, about a lot of stuff. How are you tonight, Tim? <laughs> Sorry, I, I tend to talk a lot right at the beginning there. I'm doing fine. How are you? You come in hot, and that's that's much appreciated, but I was genuinely asking if you were if you were uh how you were so um it's good to know i didn't realize that i had a podcast crush on the true crime garage guys until we started talking to them and realized uh how we're similar how we differ their work ethic where they're at right now and by the time we were maybe i don't know 20 minutes into the interview into it wasn't even an interview by the time we were maybe 20 minutes into the conversation uh, we just we had a good rapport. We had a good banter, and can't wait to get together with those guys again uh, sometime soon. They they know a lot of shit. Yeah, they do. Uh, very informative show. Real good show. Um, two fun guys, interesting personalities, and the chat is just fantastic. Uh, at one point during this conversation, we talk about CrimeCon 2018, and we talk about maybe doing some kind of live show in Nashville or affiliated with CrimeCon at some point that weekend in May. Um, so I just, I'm, and I'm only putting it out there in the intro just in case some people hear it and want to help try to make those uh, put, push those wheels into motion. I think the people who are going to push those wheels into motion are sitting right here and they are also in Ohio. And it seemed like when we mentioned it, it was a good idea overall. Um, hey, we're in we're in Nashville. We're in a hotel. They have this amazing concept of uh, their beer of the night. Let's incorporate that. Let's do a late night show. Let's have as many people who want to attend this. We'll get a little conference area, a little conference room. We'll book it out and we can just have a good time talking about true crime, anything, beer, wine, whatever. But we it'll can, be fun. It'll be yeah. fun. Yeah, it'll be like they said. And that was this was uh, I think this is when my crush uh, started happening was when they said uh, that they don't consider their listeners just listeners. They don't consider them downloads. They they actually consider them buddies. They consider them friends. Like you put those earbuds in and you you're talking to your friends. And that was something that I've, I've related to because when we first started doing the uh, more Murray podcast, I remember uh, my friends telling me. It's just like those times when you would talk about Morris case and we'd be sitting around uh, the campfire because we did. We would go camping and, you know, inevitably you'd just start talking about stories. Um, and it reminded them of that. It reminded them of the time that you'd have some beers and you'd start talking about stuff. And um, yeah, so it's like you do have these like they're, they're, they're friends out there. So all friends join in on the CrimeCon 2018 Nashville uh, event and yes. we will have a late night um, a late night live podcast for you and check out true crime garage if you haven't already it's a great podcast where they cover different cases it's a pretty great show and this podcast is taking two weeks off but we will be back after that with more episodes on the cases that we're covering. We are planning many more Brianna Maitland episodes. We have a new Dean murder episode that's in the pipeline. Same for The Vanishing Men of Boston. And I just want to ask 
you, Tim, I know you're from this, uh, you know, the greater Boston area. Have you ever been to Davis Square in Somerville? Have you ever thought of a reason to go to Davis Square in Somerville? I grew up about a mile away from Davis Square in Somerville. So, yeah, I've been there many times. What's one of your favorite places down there? Well, I used to like a place called the Jimmy Tingle Theater, but it has since been renamed and renovated. And now it's called the Rockwell Theater. And actually, Lance, funny that you mention it because you and I and Jordan Bonaparte from the Nighttime Podcast are doing a live podcast at the Rockwell Theater in Davis Square, Somerville on August 18th at 10 p.m. This is incredible. I remember hanging out. People, I don't know if you can actually Google the information on this, but once upon a time, uh, Tim and Tim, you wrote this, this, uh, it was the Dances with Wolves of, of live theater. Um, <laughs> something very historical. It was, the title was Pilgrim and we performed this and produced it at, uh, Jimmy Tingle's theater, which was renamed to the Davis Square Theater, which was then renamed the Rockwell uh, new ownership. There's this cool little speakeasy-ish type bar connected to it. Same ownership called Saloon. Yeah, that this is this is a cool little spot right outside of Boston, and uh, something very close to our hearts as far as uh, historical, uh, you know, context is concerned. We performed Pilgrim back in 2003 and 2004, and we also did a sketch comedy night over there as well and we had a lot of fun have a lot of great memories from that theater um so come on down and share the night with us it's going to be a lot of fun we are going to have some drinks at the saloon beforehand uh sometime between 7 30 and 9 we will be over there actually most of that time we will be over there hanging out with you if you want to come talk to us ask us about brianna maitland case ask us about the Moore murray case or just shoot the shit we are not going to be talking about the Mora Murray case during the show. What we will be talking about is a cacophony of things. We have uh, some really interesting guests. We have the co-founder from the Satanic Temple, Lucian Greaves, on, who's recently been on the Tucker Carlson show, where Tucker really tried to make a fool out of him. And, uh, and it didn't really work. This guy is very intelligent, and so when when you hear the Satanic Temple, I don't want you to think that we're going to be uh, pushing a religion on you or anything like that. The Satanic Temple is a lot closer to a political organization than it is to some kind of Satanic cult where there are human sacrifices and things like that. That's not at all what they do. Whoa, whoa, wait. I thought we were actually going to have this ritual at the Rockwell at 10 p.m. on uh, August 18th. I thought we were actually going to be doing this. Don't tell them. The 13th person who walks in is going to be sacrificed on stage at midnight. I will make sure that I am the 12th person. <laughs> we're just kidding. Come down and see the show. It's going to be amazing. You're going to have a lot of fun. You'll meet Jordan from the Nighttime Podcast. Chloe is going to be there. We're also going to have Elise from the Cryptid Antiquarian blog who covers the Vanishing Men of Boston. Hang out with us and talk to us about for about 15, 20 minutes about that case and how crazy that is and about the local area and everything like that. We also have... Another one more quick little surprise story that we're going to throw at you that's probably something you've never heard of, but it is absolutely fascinating. And then we're all going to talk about it. And you can ask your questions and you can get uh, answers from from the panel, which I, I guess I'm just kind of calling the panel right now, which is myself, Tim, Jordan, Lucian, Elise. And don't be scared by the guests. 
You should be more scared by the public transportation that you'll be taking. Just kidding. Do not be scared by anything when you're coming to the live show. Uh, speaking of public transportation, the theater is within a two-minute if you're walking slow, walk to the red line in Davis Square, Somerville. So if you're uh, driving down in, park your car at Alewife, A-L-E-W-I-F-E, Alewife Station. Park your car real cheap. Take the red line two or three stops to Davis Square. Pop out, take a left, and head to the uh, the Rockwell. And it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time, and we're going to jam it with everything we can and uh we're probably going to go until they kick us out okay so follow this show on twitter at crawlspace pod thank you very much for listening and buy tickets to the live show in the show notes thank you very much to crawl space true crime garage we're here with captain and nick the hosts of the popular true crime podcast true crime garage what's going on guys captain and tenille <laughs> we like to be called captain and tenille captain and tenille or- well welcome thank you for joining us i'm just going to fangirl the whole time <laughs> perfect who, who are you who are you yeah who are you uh directing the fangirl at both of you guys I listened to every missing more, missing more, Mark. Oh, now I can't oh, wow. talk. Oh my god, we had this problem earlier. The you're going to hear about that. Yeah, I, I couldn't say any words, but I listened to your podcast for every episode. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, very cool. We're fans of yours as well. We listen to yours. It's uh, very informative. Love the flow you guys have, and the music. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us something about that because uh, I want to first talk about what you guys do and and what you do for a living or on the side. I'm not sure what what is more prominent in your lives right now. So yeah, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Okay, so it used to be that we both worked a lot um, and uh, on other jobs, and we would podcast when we could. And, you know, because we've, the show's grown and it's taken on a life of its own, we've bumped it up to two episodes a week. Um, we've, we've been very lucky and fortunate that we have people that want to advertise and sponsor the show, uh, which goes a long way. So we've been able to really scale back on working at our, our other jobs and focus more on the podcasting, which has helped out quite a bit for the podcasting, because as you guys know, it, it, not only does it take on a life of its own at some point, but it becomes it becomes this big monster thing that you have to deal with kind of every day and you have to work on it every day. And now we've been able to free up some of our time to to just focus on True Crime Garage. What did you guys do for a living before you started this? Well, I used to play in bands, um, mainly party bands, and I'd play on records. Uh, and then I did a little bit of producing records. But now, I mean, I still do all my stuff on the side. I'll play pickup gigs here and there. I don't tour like I used to, but uh, I'll do uh, music for film and commercials, and I edit audio for film as well. Very cool. And then that comes up often on the show, but um, I've had several jobs, but I've primarily been in uh, property management for the last 14 years. So 
something that we, you know, it's not nothing we hide on the show. It's something that we talk about. And once in a while, we might be discussing a topic or a case where some of that expertise comes in, even though, you know, it's not detective work. It's, you know, a guy like, like the captain who's traveled all over playing gigs. He can tell you certain things about certain areas or, or, or certain things about travel or meeting new people because he spent years meeting new people weekend after weekend. Um, where with me, it's, you know, if you, if you want to talk about a large building or you want to talk about an area about something, uh, I can throw in a little bit of insight to that. And we'll get back to the, uh, the large buildings. Cause I do actually want to talk to you about large buildings and whether or not you can, uh, uh, penetrate foundations with uh, x-rays um to to look for uh human skeletons um but i want to bring up because we're on the uh we're on the topic of uh your day job and your podcasting job and there's there's a balance there and then soon that balance is going to tip or maybe not soon but inevitably it's going to tip and there's a really good book called originals i don't know if you've ever ever read it it's by adam grant and he talks about pioneers and innovators in certain industries and how they managed to uh balance right up until they were like okay this is it and do you feel like that moment's coming very soon where you and it's really hard to pinpoint we're past do, we're past that moment so you had that one. Did you identify? <laughs> did you identify that moment? And you were you you said at the time, or can you identify it now? Like looking back, going, "Oh, that was that moment." I don't know if Nick would agree with me, but that moment happened way before Nick was comfortable with uh, taking the leap. The leap. So for me, it was um, just at some point I was like, "Look, I, I'll put this on my shoulders. You still got to do the research and, and do your part, but all the other stuff." I'll just put it on my shoulders for a while so you can, you know, jump over full time. It seems like the the partnership between the two of you is is very uh symmetric. You had a job that was you were in you were in bands, uh so it wasn't you know, you didn't have anything you were tied to from nine to five, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and Nick, you 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 get into a, a situation, or you get into a you get into a, a certain rhythm in your life. You know, you, the, mm-hmm. the paychecks come in, you pay your bills, and mm-hmm. and it's very frightening to say this is a brand new industry, and I don't know, like, is this good for me to quit right now and get into a brand new industry? What was that like? Were you were you terrified? Uh, I wasn't terrified, but I think what what the true difference is is for for the captain. His thing is really in demand and it's, and I think that it's easy to go, you know, he's, he's done this for a long time and he's networked and played with a lot of different people. He has the ability to, to step away from something and then make a few phone calls and probably be right back in the game within a week or two. Uh, my area of, of property management is, is pretty, it's, it's a bit unique. Um, and usually it can take, anywhere from about six months to a year and a half to land the right spot uh, and find yourself in the right place. So for me to take a leap, it's kind of going, you know what, if, if this blows up in my face in 48 hours, well, I got to be prepared for the next 18 months to, to roll with the punches and, and get through this. Right. We've always been different that way. Cause I mean, we've known each other forever, but we've always been kind of just different in that sense where it's like, I normally haven't worked a nine to five. So, um, so it was easy. It's easier for me to say, Hey, yeah, <laughs> jump on, jump on in. You Definitely. Know? 
uh, don't worry, it'll be fine eventually. You know? Right, and it, it, I mean, it, it kind of you're you're not wrong though because you're actually saying it's working. You know, you you just said you you've never had a nine to five, and hey, you know, if it if it if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Yeah, and I think that you know I believe in a lot of stuff. I believe that if you put yourself out there, and I, I look, I believe if you can think something and have the balls to say it, and I, I think you can wish something into existence. You can put it out there and go, look, we're going to be one of the best true crime shows on the planet, period. But you have to have the balls to say that. And most people would be like, wow, you're crazy. You're a narcissist, or you're whatever. It's like, but no, it's like. A lot of our lives are based off of we live in fear. We don't do things because of fear. I like this. We're taking a spiritual twist this early. This is great. I, it's amazing. <laughs> Tim and I just had a pretty... This is rum, by the way. <laughs> Perfect. Cheers. I'm drinking a beer here. Yeah, Cheers. Cheers. Uh, Tim and I just had a, uh, a a pretty cool conversation in one of the uh, one of the newest episodes where um, and I, I just I, I love talking about that, the whole fear concept and its fear of failure and its fear of success. I feel like fear of success. I feel like fear is such a powerful emotion, um, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. like sense of like if you can make somebody laugh, that's not so much like it, you have a character trait of having a good sense of humor. Right. Whereas whereas fear is, is you can actually be afraid of success. And I feel like people are more afraid of success than they are of failure. Well, I, I you know, I, I went through a weird time and to say that I didn't ever have a nine to five. I mean, I've had normal jobs. Uh, I was married. I was raising two kids that weren't mine. Uh, that all went away. The contact went away. I moved back to Columbus. I was literally going crazy in a garage and before we started the show and I wasn't working pretty much at all. We started the podcast a little bit, but uh, you know, we were getting some hate mail when we first started. And when I actually jumped into your, when I started listening to you guys' show all the time, I'd go and read the comments and I go, why is this, why is this rated three stars or whatever was rated at the yeah, time? It still is three and a half. I was, I think, yeah. Three and a half. It's like, if you don't like the show, turn it off. Nobody's forcing you to listen. And why would you go out of your way to make bad remarks? You know, it's easier for people to go out of their way and make bad remarks than it is to make good remarks. Anyways, I watch a show called The End of Tour, and it's about David Foster Wallace. And David Lipsky comes to interview him, and he's the most famous writer at the time. It's 1996. And he talks about, you know, as you get famous, as you become successful, that your fear is that your fear always is that you're going to be found out that you're some kind of fraud. And I think, so it's not just a fear of success. I think it's more a fear that people are going to find out you're not that special or you're not that much different than them. And I think that's, what's interesting about podcasts is you don't have to be different. We don't have to be different. We don't have to be special. They're more of our friends than they are our listeners. Right. Even though we don't know each other when they, pop in, you know, when they put their earbuds in their ears and listen to us, we, if they like our show, we become their friends. Well, and we try to do it like it's some kind of community. Um, like it, it's, you know, we don't want to feel like somebody that we're just a, a black wall that, you know, you're staring off into space and you're, you're thinking about what we look like or who we are or anything like that. No, we truly want to be friends with the people that tune in. 
truly, you know, we just can't meet all of them or see all of them. But that's so we try to talk about it like our garage is sitting in the middle of a city called Parts Unknown America, and <laughs> everybody's welcome to live there. The The taxes are cheap. The schools are kind of bad. We're working on that. Bad schools. Um, but, you know, we try to make it we try to make it feel like a community. We, we want this. This is this is a, a, the bus stop that we want you to look forward to that stop. Right. Awesome. Well, and and for example, when I'd listen to you guys, I'd be talking to my friend Aurelia, and I'd say, "Oh yeah, so Tim and Lance were saying, and Tim and Lance said, and then Tim said this, you know, as if we're friends. I never met you till CrimeCon, so that that's just kind of how podcasts work. It is. I totally agree. It's it's really amazing, an amazing relationship and, and connection when you you put the earbuds in. It's a very personal relationship. And uh, I, I think that's probably why, you know, I'm not a, a suit, but uh, I think that's why the suits realized that uh, if we talk in our own voices uh, while doing sponsorships, then people buy the products. <laughs> what, are you, what are you looking at? What are you looking at through your window? Oh, uh, yeah. I wanted to see if the chickens had gone back into their uh, into their chicken. Coop. They've come home to roost. They oh, have. Okay. The chickens oh. have come home to roost. <laughs> I, once we're off here, I gotta go shut the door, make sure no uh, no foxes or anything get to them. Okay, okay, so so you guys came up with this idea for a podcast to include the audience. I love it. Why true crime? Why true crime garage? And is that a garage that we're looking at? It's technically above a garage. Okay. Yes. So why the the the, the actual gra- garage that we started in? We were once in a garage. It was so hot. There was no air conditioning. And like we'd be dripping on the computers and us. And and the other thing too would be like, you know, it would be, well, first of all, we weren't very serious about it in the beginning. We were, we were really truly two guys drink a beer in a garage having fun. Mm -hmm. We, we recorded a few episodes before we even thought we'd, we really just record them just to see if we would sit down and do it. No intention of releasing them. And um, but we would sit there and record with not as great of equipment as we have now. And we'd be halfway through an episode was, and somebody pretty good equipment. Don't somebody, let. somebody would let their dogs out and we would have to break for five or 10 minutes because there's just dogs yapping or, or it was his dogs. Somebody's dogs were yapping or, or a site, you know, an ambulance would drive by or a fire truck or, you know, there's just, it just got to be, and it was so hot. It was very hot. But we'd actually, when we first started, like uh, Nick would get up and walk around the room, like he'd go get a beer, and I'd be going, "You got to talk into the mic." And he's like, "Ah, it's fine," and he'd be like, he'd go lay on his hot tub and like talk and kind <laughs> of shout at the mic, and I'm like, "This is no good." We but gotta... I, I would get, I would get involved in the conversation with him and kind of forget that we were recording. Yeah, well, he would also get really drunk the first few episodes. He would lay on his hot tub. Yeah, he had a hot tub in his garage. Yeah, he's baller. Baller. He's a baller. So you guys, uh, you guys drink beer. <laughs> you you make it a point to talk about what beer you're drinking every episode. Um, mm-hmm. What are you drinking tonight? And where did this idea come from? And you guys, you get free beer from this. I, I take it. No, no uh, we, we we do have a beer fund, so people donate to the That's beer nice. fund. And we started that just as a joke. Let's see what happens. And it's nice because, you know, it pays for certain things. I mean, it pays for the beer, but it also helps pay for hosting and, and all the other little 
expenses that go along with sure. it. Sure. Podcasting's not uh not cheap. Yeah. Some people do a Patreon, we do the beer fund and it's like we said, it's it's a little more community uh involvement there. The thing is with the beer, it's kind of an accident. When we first started recording, we would just drink beer and it would be it just happened to be like he'd come over and because he had to make the long drive, I'm like, Oh, I should buy some like nice beer so mm-hmm. that he's got something cool to drink while he's here. I have a couple of these. And it was so hot in the garage too. Mm-hmm. You need something cold to mm-hmm. drink. So, you know, it'd be like, he'd be like, what are you, what are we drinking today? And I would just, oh, I got this. It's from blah, blah, blah. And then at some point we're like, well, wait a second, this is a segment. This is, we've somehow, this has worked its way into the show. This is a segment. <laughs> well, he's kind of, he's kind of being modest though. Cause he, from the beginning, he, he had all these weird ideas about catchphrases and all this stuff. And he's like, we're going to do a beer of the week. And I'm like, that makes zero sense. We're going to drink beer and talk about murder. This makes zero <laughs> sense, and somehow it worked. Right. So. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of genius. I mean, we, we, I mean, I think, Lance, how many times did we say we wish we could have, do, have done something like that on, on Missing More Amari? We just kind of felt like we, we had to take it more seriously than anything we've ever taken anything in our lives. And I think that was one of the reasons Crawl Space, uh, we, we started Crawl Space. It gives us a little more freedom to be ourselves. And, you know, we can drink and, and talk about that a little bit. Um, have a little more fun. You guys should start a beer fund. Yeah, I think the, I think the beer fund. We're giving you permit, you know, give you permission. Take our idea <laughs> and run with it. Your your audience will love I it. I like it. We we could we could start a beer. I remember one of the comments that <laughs> came up when we were first doing the video portion, and, and someone was like giving me crap for slamming Miller Lite Tall Boys, and uh, <laughs> so now I now I now I drink it out of a mug because I yeah. don't want to be seen. Yeah. I don't want to be seen to be inappropriate. Yeah, we kind of had that, that rule. We gave ourselves that rule, but I think tonight it doesn't matter because these guys. Yeah, yeah. we're broing yeah. down tonight. It's a it bro doesn't. down. What what what's it's really cool about what you guys are talking about is um, not to bring like seriousness back into the conversation, and we can deviate oh, from what that. A Debbie Downer, a little bit. But what you're talking about is is really cool marketing ideas for an industry that's so new. And and you think, well, why can we? How can we talk? Like we're gonna do a beer of the of the week, and we're gonna talk about murder and crime. We can't do that. Well, yeah, you can because we're just making the rules. Yeah. And and I think some of it too is that you can't take yourself too serious because, especially when you're diving into these crimes every week, especially the stuff that involves children. And look, it's I mean it's it's depressing. It can be very depressing and stressful on mm-hmm. your life. So some of the stuff you have to you can't take yourself too serious. And people shouldn't expect you to take your people shouldn't expect you to take yourself as serious as the cases that you're covering or else you'll just go, you'll go crazy. You'll, you'll stop doing it. You'll go nuts. The thing is, as long as you don't disrespect the victims, which makes no sense to do that anyway, you should be fine. The, the, we have put ourselves on a bit of a fine line um, Mm -hmm. that we kind of, you know, tap dance on week after week. Um, But I think our personalities, we're just, I mean, we're just regular good guys. Like, so it's pretty easy to not, I, you know, I've, I've listened to some other shows and I, I don't know what they're trying to do. I, I, I get the product that they're trying to put out and I'm not going to name any shows for, but I, but I'll say some things that I've heard done. I heard, a um, somebody covered a, a, a case where there were some people that had been shot in the head and 
the for whatever reason, the producer or the guy giving the interview decided that he was going to play music during the interview, like like a sound bed underneath the interview. But he was choosing songs that were of a violent nature that was like, you know, bullet in the head and Mm -hmm. uh, let the bodies hit the floor and things just just in the most disgusting, poorest of taste you could think of. And I and I've heard another podcast where they were talking about we covered the Delphi murders uh, recently, and this was one that covered it. They I, I don't even know that they were covering the Delphi murders. They were just talking about things in the news at the time. Mm-hmm. And the, it, it was the type of show where you would have a host or two and just multiple guests week after week. And it's random guest people, which is I think is a poor platform to start with, because the, the audience needs to identify with people. And if you keep a if you keep a rotating a uh, group of people coming in there, it becomes a circus at some point and they can't follow along. They can't identify with you or the people they're listening to. But he says to one of the guests, he says, well, two girls died on your birthday. How do you feel about that? You know? And it's just like, what is, what is that? You know, first of all, it wasn't going to be funny anyway. Mm-hmm. So where, where were you going with this? I don't understand. And like I said, it it can be a fine line, but there's no reason to disgrace people that have already had the worst of luck and experienced the worst of things that you can think of in your, you know, thank God we've not had to experience those things. Thank God. We're just sitting here talking about it. Thank God. We have the privilege of, of keeping these cold cases in, in the ears of people and in the minds of the public so that maybe someday somebody gets some kind of justice or some kind of closure for something that hor- something horrible that happened to their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. That's well said. So before we get into uh, a little bit of the more Amari case, I just want to talk to you guys about CrimeCon. Uh, we, we saw you there. We were hanging out a little bit, and we had an absolute blast. Did you guys have fun? Well, I had a great time. Well, I had a great time the whole time, but Nick could only come for the Friday. Because he had a family vacation that was already planned like a year in yes. advance. So it got a little lonely for me. I mean, because it's like everybody's there with their, their partner in crime. And 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 I was surrounded the whole time by people, which was cool. But it, it would have been nice to uh, share that experience with my co-host. Yeah, I go to I go to this, this place in Florida every year, the same week of June. And it, there's like 30 or 40 of us there. We go every year and... It was one of those things I booked it and then found out we I didn't think we'd get invited to CrimeCon. I didn't even know what CrimeCon was. And then one day he we we get uh, somebody emails or calls or something and says you're, you're invited to this thing. I was like, wow, that sounds great. Mm, can't yeah. be there. Uh, what, I was very happy that I was able to make it for the Friday portion. There were so many cool people to meet. It was a lot of fun being in the same row. I liked how they did that with all the podcasters to you know just so we could put faces to names and voices. And it was what I loved about it was, first of all, meeting everybody. Everybody had such nice things to say and interesting things to say as mm-hmm. well. But at the same time, even though I was there with the captain and we had our little table, you know, looking down podcaster row, it almost felt like all the podcasters were on one team. We were all one giant football team for one day. You know what I mean? Like we we were there and it, it was a very weak very weak, nerdy football it team. It was one of those, but yeah, kind it of. It was uh, a football <laughs> team. It was a football yes. team, yeah. But, but no, CrimeCon, I will make a point to, th- that vacation will not be booked until after CrimeCon is scheduled for next year. What's well, already scheduled. It's yeah, it's going to be in May this well, year, so it will not conflict with your weekend. Well, not 
Not until I find out about what it's scheduled. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but I heard that Nashville might be a pretty good uh, drinking and music city. And we're talking. We're talking yes. right now, and and putting it out there to at CrimeCon 2018. Maybe we should do some some late night drinking show some live drinking late night drinking yes. show between uh between us and you guys and we yeah. hang out with the uh with some listeners uh get some beers to sponsor us and and we just see how far we can take it yes let's do yeah, a live show a for idea. sure as long as you guys host it we're good <laughs> mm-hmm. i got a question sure. for you guys if that's okay so you know the oh you know you try to be your authentic self or you try as much as you can but inevitably, man, I can't talk today. This is awful. It's the rum. <laughs> but you end up always kind of becoming your character on the show. Do you find that? Totally. I, I, I feel like we just discussed this, too. We tried to have an episode of Crawl Space where Tim and I were like, you know, we just want to loosen up and, and talk uh, and, and just show the listeners our personality and where we're from. And I don't think it was like a half hour into it before we got down a, a road that was so disturbing. Tim couldn't read this thing because it was it, it had to do with kids and it was disturbing him. And, and it was like, God damn it. We can't even we can't even just like lightheartedly discuss something with the microphone in front of us without thinking that we have to have some important message that that we need to deliver um it was like and, episode three right. of uh, missing more amari all over again where i got afraid of the uh the security uh picture of mora oh you, you yeah yeah yeah, her, <laughs> yeah. The, the the one in the hallway and it yeah. was like yeah you start seeing that and you're like oh i, don't oh, I can't even look at this guys can't even look at that but yeah but then again <laughs> it's like you do kind of become a character but it sort of is what you are it it sort of is what you are, and as much as as much as we want to kick back and 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 joke joke around and and show people what our you know what we truly are, what our personalities are, uh, the subject matter. I mean, like you you were saying, the subject matter is is a little tough to do that with. It's not like you're a fake persona. It's really your the character that the captain's talking about and that you're talking about. It's. It's truly a character of yourself. It's like a compartment of yourself right. that shows up when that microphone is there, when you're in the garage, when you guys are in the studio, when you're working. It becomes this is the portion of me that shows up and does this show. You know, it's 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 nothing fake, but that's but yeah, but that's what all, it is. Right, but it's only a percentage of you. Is right. what I'm saying. Yeah, but no, it's a good it's a good point, and and we could easily cut some of the things that seem embarrassing to us. We're kind of going through this a little bit with our documentary editing for the uh, Missing Mora Murray documentary that we're working on. Some things that we say are downright embarrassing, um, and it's like, well, we could just cut them, or we can just leave them in because it's the truth, and we said that shit. And it's like, well, we, you know, we made a vow a long time ago to just tell the truth. And, you know, we can cut some of the embarrassing mm-hmm. moments of the show, like the parts where I'm histrionic or the part where uh, Lance, you know, drones on and on. But uh... <laughs> very few and far between. Very few and far between. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll continue yeah. to say how few and far between they are. In, in, in very... <laughs> As he rambles on about in few and far between. 
It was a, it was kind of few like and had, far between. If you had what few I'm over here and far between was like in London, between yeah. over there, how yeah. many steps would it take you to get to between? Right. But I do it in a very eloquent way, the, very much the way Kennedy used to speak. Oh, so. um, I am I yeah. I am to Kennedy's speech the way Tim's hair is to Kennedy's uh, hair. So together we almost yeah. make one full uh-huh. Kennedy. Right, and we're not Kennedy. even talking about okay. John Ash. Yeah. We're no, talking no. about probably one of the uh, right. Kennedy, the old MTV uh, VJ. Not back into the left. We're yeah, talking yeah, we're about. actually talking about the VJ, Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, who are you guys talking about? Right, right. The VJ Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> I, we, don't <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. But long story long, I, I tend to not ramble. Let's hear about your guys' experience uh, with James Renner and covering the Maura Murray case. Because you you guys did, Mm. was it three episodes or two episodes of it? I think we did two. Uh, Well, we did did three episodes of the Maura Murray case, two with just me and the captain and one with uh, James Renner. Um, But but what gets confusing is we actually did, we've had Renner on the show three times for different cases. Four times? I think four times. Might have been four. Uh, maybe three. I don't know. So he talked about some uh, touchy things with you guys. And at that point, it, it hadn't really been put out there. And, of course, it was, uh, mm-hmm. if, if you're familiar with these episodes that you guys produced and, and the history of the Maura Murray case, uh, you'll know where we're going with this. But it was the allegations against Billy at his workplace. And so right. tell us a little bit about how that whole situation went down. Uh, from your guys' end? Well, I'll just give my, my perspective first. So it was cool because we reached out to him, and he is about two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, nobody knew who we were at the time. And he was like, yeah, I'll meet you. Uh, so I do some work at a studio. So we actually rented out that space to make him feel a little more comfortable. Um, so he shows up, and he gets out of his car. And the first thing I think he sees is me, like, oh, what the heck did I get myself into? Uh, this guy's big. Uh, then he goes in the studio, and it's it's top of line studio. I mean, all the all the remixes of uh, Led Zeppelin were done on that board. Uh, Eric Cl- Eric Clapton recorded on that board. We uh, we recorded some stuff with uh, Twenty One Pilots at that studio. So it's a top of the line studio. So right when he walks in, he's like pretty comfortable. And it's just funny because he looks right at Nick and he goes, "Didn't you follow me out into a parking lot one time?" Which is true. Which is true. <laughs> Which what? is true. Is that a true story? Yeah. So I, I, here's how big of a true crime dork I am. All right. So <laughs> I, well before we did the show, and I still continue to do it to, to this day. But if there's a true crime author somewhere in the state of Ohio that's giving a presentation about a case, if I have the day off, I will drive two or three hours to go sit at the presentation. Uh, and I will, if I have some questions or some input, I will make a point to, to, to let you know what I think or, or ask for some more details or and stock you in the parking lot. They had kind of a very short, he was, he was at this thing up in, um, uh, I can't remember where it was, but I probably drove about an hour or so. And they had a very short Q and a afterwards where he sat off to the side and you had to approach him face to face. 
Well, there was a ton of old people there. So I try to be a nice dude and I let all the old older people go first. Well, they cut off the line by the time I get up to the to the table. So he leaves. I wanted to talk to him about Amy Mahalovic. And that's how I know James Renner from that's how I got into him years ago. And so I I start asking him questions as he's like putting away his stuff. And then next <laughs> thing I know we're walking down the, you know, towards the door and I'm still asking him questions. Then we're in the parking lot and he's like trying not to, he's trying not to, uh, detect to me where his car is, you know, like he doesn't want, he's like, he's like, and at some point he's like, you know, I have to go. I have to, I have to drive quite a ways. And I was like, yeah, I do too. I should probably, but, but he's, he's a super great guy. And, uh, and we were very happy to have him on the show And, and you guys know this. We're not telling you anything that you don't know. Well, and the, and the weird thing about it, too, is that for some reason in the true crime world, not all the time, but a big percentage of the time, if you don't agree with somebody, then that person is the enemy. Right. And I think that, to me, is silly. Because, you know, I'm going to learn more about a case from somebody I don't agree with than somebody I do agree with every point. Um, But as far as your question goes, when he... I was interested to hear what he was going to talk about. And the the other interesting thing was he told us before we started recording, uh, you know, I, I'm going to explain this information to you, but we had to stagger our release mm-hmm. because uh, some of this information was in the book and, and, you know, obviously to protect himself, you know, that that's what authors have to do. Uh, so, it, you know, we were hearing this information for the first time. He did the interview with us about two months before the book came out. Two months before the book came out. Yeah, so we had to kind of sit quietly about what we heard, you know, during that interview. But, I mean, those are accusations, and if he feels strongly enough to accuse him of that, he must have evidence to back that up. He said Billy didn't uh, deny the allegations. That's that's really all I know about it. He also said that there were... The the accusers talked to him. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's weird because, you know, your guys is I told you your last ep- episode with him uh, on missing Charlie Murphy. Uh, <laughs> you, you guys kind of went after him. Uh, and and I think we would have been more confrontational with him. But we invited this guy down. And and Nick and Renner actually talked a lot about Amy Mihaljevic and uh, a couple other cases beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it's the last one we talked to him about, and we we're trying to be respectful. Like we we brought him in to hear his viewpoints, um, and we didn't we weren't like trying to ambush him and say, "Hey, let's come in here and come to our turf and let's have a." argument i just wanted to hear his thoughts well and the thing too this is where you got to give him credit because you know he's made a lot of accusations regarding the death of amy mihaljevic but at the same time he's made those accusations but he's gone up on people's doorsteps at the middle of the night and knocked on the door with with only armed with a pen and paper and said you know what i think you did this you got any answers for me that's that's something. I mean, that that's doing the legwork. Anybody can sit in a garage and say, you know what? This guy did this, and he's a terrible person, and I got no proof, and I've never even seen him face-to-face. Right. You know, it, it, James Renner has done the legwork. Work. He's chased the boogeyman. I, 
maybe he's never caught the guy, but you know what I mean? He's I give him credit yeah, for that. And and the people that don't like him about his uh opinions on that particular case, you got to remember that with the Amy case, he was going after justice for a little girl. Mm-hmm. So uh, how can you not like somebody that does that? Uh, I think the Mara Murray case is different. I think it's a case that sucks you in. And I think oddly, I think it becomes a case that you want the answers for yourself more than you want the answers for Mara. You know, because if she did go missing on her own, then why the heck are we talking about this? She doesn't want to be found. Uh, but it's a case that sucked me in because it's a, it, to me, it was, it's a it's a thought experiment. All, that's all it is. Give me a theory. Now let me go down a rabbit hole. Give me another theory. Let me go down a rabbit hole. And that's why your guys' show was so great. It was a, presenting a different rabbit hole every week. And then I just get lost in that one rabbit hole. Um, I don't agree with James Renner on a lot of things. Uh, and the best, <laughs> the fa- my favorite part of the whole thing is, um, you know, f- f- look, I, I talked to um, a college coach. Uh, a listener of ours, he teaches uh, college soccer. And when we covered that case, he just emailed me. He said, here's my number if you want to call me. Called him, and he was trying to explain to me that you have to understand what uh, Haas, that's his name, right? Mm -hmm. What he did was so beyond out of bounds. It's not a common thing. Not only could he lose his job, he he could lose his degree. And not only could he, you know, he's going for a uh, not under, undergraduate, but a graduate degree. They could actually suspend his undergraduate degree. And then they can sue him for all the money that he has taken. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that the university could sue him and win. Not only that, but they can actually try to charge him with as some kind of sex offender, even though she would be of age because she was, it was a student-teacher relationship and they could go after with him with that. So if anybody has a motive, uh, that's the person that you, you know you want to have your motive. And so when the whole stuff came up about the cabin and being linked to the school, the one thing I thought was funny, uh, you know, is I talked to James and 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 James Renner said, "Well, he's always my number one suspect." It's like, no, he wasn't. Billy's always been your number one suspect. And I I think James Renner is a great storyteller. Uh. And I think sometimes he sticks to his th- thought process too closely, and sometimes he jumps off of it too quickly. Yeah, I have a I have a quick question for you about the Haas situation. What is it that he could have gotten fired for? What is the thing that you're talking about? If he had a sexual relationship with a student, that is forbidden. Because he was an assistant then, track coach, right? Right, right. But he but he's getting paid to be the track coach and he's getting paid for his graduate degree. Like they're helping him with housing. They're helping him with uh, scholarship and tuition, but you, you work for the university. And so this is not coming from me. This information about him having an affair with Mora. Where did we hear this from him? Well, from Renner. Exactly. We didn't hear it from, he's never come out and said anything. He's never than what Renner has said. Right, but here's here, here's a couple issues. If if what he said to Renner is true, and look, I, I don't think Renner's a liar. I think he's a great author. I think he's a great dude. I don't think he's a liar. And 
he brought up all this stuff even when he wasn't trying to point the finger True. at Haas. Right. He was bringing up this stuff a long time ago. He was just sweeping it under the rug because he didn't understand the seriousness of it. And when you have a university um, uh, coach con- you know, contact me and say, look, I am telling you that if that stuff happened, you have to understand how serious of offense that was. And I think this guy has been teaching uh, or coaching at a university for I don't know, 15 years or something. And he said, in my time of coaching, this has never happened. There's never even been rumors of it because even if there's rumors of that, maybe you're sleeping with a student athlete or whatever, that's bad for business. And I think it's look when you also move, you moved across country too to accept a job with a very good company. Yeah, I get that. But I'm just saying, I, I, I'm just saying that coming from a coach that's saying, hey, look, this is a serious accusation. And if this is true, then this guy definitely had a motive. And then also it gives us a reason why she's on the road she's on. Absolutely. All of that aside, and I agree with you on James. And and I, and I think because we have a, a relationship with James and we work well with him and I feel like we're able to call him out on certain things, I feel like he takes his narrative right. a little too far. For example, uh, the Haas situation, the police officer who pulled – or I'm sorry, the police officer who Mora called and arrived at the scene for the first accident, also an unnamed source who claimed that there were orgies with the track team – these are these are things that he, he 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 put he puts out there and he says he says she left a party got into mm-hmm. her dad's car got into an accident and he lets you think he lets you put that together and say she was drunk in an accident and then he says when i called the cop he hung up on me he hung up he hung up on james because he just didn't have anything else to say and as far as he knows james is a reporter and he didn't charge this girl with dwi because she wasn't drunk and but James will right. put it out there and say an unnamed source said that there were orgies at the track for the, with the track team and she left this party and she got into an accident and it was 2:30 put it together i mean she was drunk so it's all of these things and and i don't know what happened with Haas and i don't know you know what the ramifications with that that would be but i certainly right. i don't think someone can go so psychotic so fast and say Wow, we we had sex, and if I get if I get caught, then I get fired. I have to owe money. Damn, I got to kill you. Like there's other there's other ways to go well, about doing it. This well, guy has never well he doesn't have a police record. He's he's never had any history. Yeah, but the cabin. No, yeah. <laughs> but the cabin, man. No, no, no. I think I look. I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying that is. I think. From the word go, right when I first heard that, it, to me it felt like a situation that, especially uh, people like Renner, was they're sweeping under the rug, and it's a serious. At, you know what he is stating that Haas said—that's serious, and that should be looked into. I mean, just with his job and everything, that that should have been looked into. In in all fairness, though, on our show, we said we didn't say that that Haas did it. But on our show, we said, you know what? If if Mara was pregnant and if she was in fact heading to the cabin, right, then Haas would be our prime suspect with a big circle around it. Yeah, because who says that she has to be pregnant by Billy? Right. What if she's right. pregnant with Haas? Right. 
Hostage baby. So and look, and that's just a, that, that, those were the. If we had those two questions answered, then we would for us in the garage we would have our prime suspect. But it's like it's something that the captain and I talk about week after week. Every case we cover, there's usually one or two questions. If you just had the answer to that, you know, and it, it has nothing to. It, it, I think it would point you in the direction of who's responsible for what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, there's totally a chance that Haas has absolutely nothing to do with uh, where Maura Murray ended up and has no idea. And maybe, you know, as, as James Renner wrote in his book, uh, she did say to him that I want to run away to Mexico, but obviously didn't. Like, we, you know, we've heard, I can't remember right. where, where I'm trying to remember, recall this from, but there was a story recently where someone said that, and oh, it was Brianna Maitland, said, oh, uh, we talked to her friend, and she said she was going to go run away to Florida. And obviously that, that it wasn't what happened because her friend that she said it with was still there when Brianna Maitland went missing. So, yeah, these weird things right. like that, like I want to run away to Mexico, they do happen. And that's not the end result. But I want to get back to something that Lance said about Renner. Do you think Renner is uh, – like like you mentioned, he – you know, he, he put it out there and he kind of leaves it open-ended. Do you think he does that because that's where he is in his reporting? Or do you think he does that because he has an agenda that he's pushing? Well, I, I don't want, uh, again, I, I respect the guy and, and he's a, he's a sweetheart of a guy. Uh, to me though, he's an author and he's trying to create a story. Whether that's fiction or nonfiction, he's trying to create a story. And and what what the captain means by that is well, don't he's, tell him. What, I know what you mean by that. You're he. We're not saying that that he's fabricating things to create a story. He has to take what information he can gather. An assumption, maybe it's sometimes it's an assumption. I don't know, but he has to take what he can gather and put it together in story form. Yeah, but I, no, I no. What I meant is, uh, I think sometimes, you know, if I say it this way, it's a better story. And I think he's just naturally his, that's what the way his brain works. This is a better story. Just like when he said to me, well, yeah, he's always one of my number one suspects. No, you brushed him under the rug months ago. And now that there's actual evidence that points that maybe we should look into this guy more. And then again, he said, well, you know what I think is funny is that, uh, he talked to me before and now he won't return my emails. Like, that's a big deal. Like, look, he might just not want to talk to you. You know, somebody not wanting to talk to you has no, that does not point to their innocence or guilt ever. Sometimes they just don't want to talk to you. I have a lot of emails (laughs) that I have not responded to. A lot of, from me. Well, and and here's the thing. You know, we all, you know, we live in the true crime documentary golden age right now where, I mean, there's just, there's a new one coming out every month that you're supposed to not miss. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these making a murder, um, uh, we, I, you know, I can't think of a, a bazillion of them offhand. Oh, the keepers. But you will see this time and time again where they're like, you know what, the, the producers, the directors have. Much like what we're what you guys are saying, maybe Jen Ren- James Renner has, where they have a theory, they have a position that they've taken when they decide to do this documentary, and then they say, you know what, we reached out to the psychiatrist that used to treat this guy, and and he said or she said, well, I'm not returning your calls, I I will not comment on that, right, and then it 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 paints the picture for the listener or the viewer 
that, oh, they're hiding something. And, you know, and I've told the captain a hundred times, and he said it to me, too, when, we, when we've watched documentaries on cases we've covered, and they're like, the doctor wouldn't talk. The psychiatrist wouldn't say anything. The whole medical building said no comment. And we've gone, you know what? If I were, if I were at that level, too, mm-hmm. and I was in that situation, I would, I would have no comment. I, w- I absolutely would have no comment. Why would I go on your show or your documentary, and then later you can cut the tape and you can skew it however you want to skew it, depending, even if I said the right thing 100% of the time, you can cut it and make it look like I'm hiding something or that I've done something wrong or I'm covering for people that have done wrong things. Yeah, but that being said, anybody that doesn't talk to you guys for your documentary is hiding something. Oh, they're totally hiding <laughs> something. So you're they, you're, the, one ex- you're I mean, the one exception. We're, I mean, you guys, you got too much charm. If they don't talk to you, they're soulless and they're guilty. I wish it was that simple, to tell you the truth. I wish it was that black and white. <laughs> I have had so much sex with old women just to get information. Uh, what about the uh, the announcement that, uh, that and I don't want to make this the renter hour, but uh, since we're on the topic, um, it, something that, that got announced last week was this uh, Johnny Depp production company is taking true crime addict james renner's book and turning it into a fictionalized version of his book for uh television well i i think they're buying the rights i don't know if they've actually started to adapt it oh yeah there's there's writing going on well in all fairness i mean johnny depp bought uh, the rights to a famous jazz bass player named uh, his story jaco pastorius and there's been rumors for 20 years that johnny depp is making adaptation um you know it'd be it's one of those cases where it's like i don't know i'll watch it because i'm obsessed with that case but it's going to be so hollywood that it's it's going to be more hollywood than james renner's book so yeah well i mean we'll we'll see about what the final uh the final look is on it uh whether it's kind of gritty or whether it's hollywood but a lot of people came out and they were they were like they were like I can't believe this uh, you know that son of a bitch and and I saw it and I was like awesome because yeah. it's about time that this you know this is just another development in this whole crowdsourcing information this whole true crime what we do and James Renner has you know what could be a, a deal with Johnny Depp's production company which is going to put it in front mm-hmm. of millions and millions of people's faces and and he's a fascinating character who got himself involved in a fascinating case and the more eyes the better and yeah. people people are you know people will draw their own conclusions about him based on that material and he's the one that has agreed to have that happen so whatever yeah. happens will happen okay well, what about uh let me throw a counterpoint uh it's they're not using maura murray's name and it's set in upstate new york they're not even using james renner's real name so what do you say to the people who say oh that james renner he was always about the money and he was never uh, in this to find maura and this show isn't helping find maura at all it's just helping him professionally well look i i think the I think the people, again, like I said, the people that hate him, they haven't met him. He's a nice guy. He drove over five hours to meet with guys he never met before. And and is that to sell books? Maybe, but he doesn't know our show. He doesn't know how many listeners we have. 
he didn't yeah, he didn't know if he was showing up to be beat up by a couple guys he's never met before, you right. know. And and at the end of the day, he's an author and I respect him as a person. He's an intelligent person, so we should listen to his ideas. That doesn't mean you have to accept them, but you need to listen to them. And then if you want to talk about one of the best true crime books maybe ever written, True Crime Attic. And and everybody that reads it, even people that I know, even listeners of mine that have said you, you, how dare you put him on your show? And then three weeks later, they're like, that book was good. And at the end of the day, that's, he's an author and it, you know, uh, does he have a responsibility to, for the truth that that's on him and that's on his character, you know, but you know, does it make a better book? I don't know. It's a good book. It's an amazing book. When you look at the um, the things that people do to enhance their careers, just in general, what he's doing really isn't so completely horrible. You know, the people people make him out to be just like this this like uh, maniac, like ego ego maniac. You know, and and people do much. What he's what he's ultimately doing is putting a lot more eyes on this case. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. I, I, sorry, I've been kind of sitting waiting to give an answer on this one. The thing here is, the question is, Johnny Depp has purchased the rights or working on trans, you know, making this an adaptation of some kind of story into a movie, right? Did James Renner, is he selling out? James Renner used Mara Murray's name in his book. He used James Renner's name in his book. That's, That's his product, was his book. He's not hiding the truth from you. Johnny Depp, if whoever's taking it and, and adapting it to a movie, changing the names, that's fine and that's good because you got to put it on the screen. He has no obligation after what they take his product and do with it. He has not. He has an obligation to himself as a career and his family to put food on the table and pay the bills. Mm-hmm. The thing here is James Renner writes just as good nonfiction as he does fiction books. His fiction books are incredible. He can write stories that do not have anything to do with real life that are amazing. And then furthermore, Johnny Depp is a great actor. He's a brilliant guy, but he's also been a guy that's done very well because of true crime. Donnie Brasco, the uh Jack Jack the Ripper. He's been in uh the Whitey, Whitey Bulger. Bulger. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's done a lot of true crime movies that have done well for him and he's done well in those movies. So mm-hmm. I it's a win-win for everybody. If anybody's got a problem with it, I mean, come on, they, they they would sell the story themselves. I think that's one of those ones where I would say check yourself because because <laughs> you know what, go 110% on something for as long as you can and then when you're done with it, Sell it to everybody that's willing to buy it. Right. And then people, yeah. And and at that point, and people are saying, you know, I am sick of people profiting. I'm sick of looking at him profiting off of the case. It's it, like profiting? Really? 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 Like the yeah. time that someone puts into that and and you actually do the math, that's not profiting at all. Like that's, no, that's, probably, that's just pr- living. Like you said, it. he's got to put food on his family. Like he's got to pay his bills. He's got to do his – we all have to do that. So you're saying right. like if he got a job during the time that he spent writing the blog and writing the book, then he could have made potentially more money than he made making the book and he wouldn't have raised awareness for this cold case that – may have become folklore right. by now if, if he hadn't done that. Is that what I, I don't, don't, he, don't, he, Did I take that a little too here's far? A weird, 
Uh, here's a weird uh, question for you, though, because it, the the funny thing about the the Mara Murray community is they just jumped on him and hated him again. Like I said, go back to his earlier work, all the stuff with Amy. That's a little kid he was trying to find justice for, and not popular. He's going to write a book about her, and by the way, he's not going to make any money off of it. He's doing that for justice for a little kid, and for whatever reason, he got sucked into this case like we all did. And then for some reason, he's truthful about his opinions. And then everybody jumps down his throat like he's some like horrible person. So some of his thoughts and opinions might be wrong. It doesn't, but they, but what's weird to me is they question his character. It's like, that, that's the craziest thing to me. It's like when we cover a case, uh, you know, Casey Anthony or, or one of these, or like uh, West Memphis three, or, you know, we, we've never done Adnan Syed's case yet because you can't. Because you, you can't win. Who's that? And it's like <laughs> Adnan Syed. Uh, but it's like you can't cover those cases because if you're honest with your opinion on some of those, people jump down your throat and then they start, like, attacking you, your character. And it's like we might not agree on what happened in this case, but why are you attacking my character? And I don't understand why they do that with James, especially a guy that they never met. Um, well, here's the other thing, too. Uh, uh, and we'll have to move on after this one. But the thing here is Renner is he's a he's a little garage. If you want to hate somebody, hate the big box company, because Johnny Depp and whoever produces this movie, they've taken Mara Murray's name out of the show. They've taken it out of the story. They're going to make millions. Renner's made thousands, you know. That's what it is. Renner is listed as an executive producer. Well, he should change his mind. No, I'm I'm joking. I'm joking. But you see what I'm... But I think you guys know know what I'm saying. Absolutely. But here's what happens all the time, though, you know, in Hollywood is, you know, if they just looked at... You know, we always see these movies based on a true story. That's what it will be, based on a true story. And he lived that life. So the book, True Crime Addict, is is more about what he was doing that in, in that time than it is just about the case or Mara Murray. So that is that is his story, and he has the right to tell his story. Right, and it also reflects the the culture of the time with that genre. It it reflects how one person, if if it's James Renner or if it's me or Tim or you guys, how we get caught up in certain things and how those those effects lead to something else, which leads to something else, et cetera. And, yeah, and but, it, but, it, but hopefully it inspires more young authors and journalists you, you to go, just hey, you know what? literally went into my throat and my brain and took the words. You just pulled them out <laughs> in such a – it was like you just yeah, I mean, dipped them in butter and pulled them out of my throat. Because, look, it's inspiring. I mean, uh, I don't agree with a lot of his stuff with Mara Murray, but what's inspiring is a guy that devoted so much of his time and energy to try to find answers. Whether it, those answers are just for himself or for the greater good, who cares? The movie for True Crime Garage is totally for sale as long as George Clooney plays me and Carrot Top plays the captain. Nice. We have a, we have, we have a running joke that... Uh, <laughs> um, when, when True Crime Addict becomes a TV show, some for some reason I just know that Rick Moranis is playing me and and <laughs> Tay Diggs is playing Tim. I just know that's how it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not going to throw out any theories here for, re, re, relating to Mara, but I will throw one thing in there that, that, that I always think about regarding her disappearance and her accident or, you know, the vehicle wrecking the vehicle that night and then disappearing. And the question of, did she take off of her own free will? Did she leave with somebody she knew? Was there, was there a tandem car? Did she get into another car? Did she walk away, run away, whatever? One conversation I had with the detective back when we were covering the Brian Schaefer case was, you know, I asked him, I said, do you have, this is a retired detective. I said, do you have any outstanding missing person? This is somebody that did missing persons. He said, I have one. And he said, I have one that has bothered me from the day that I got it because I thought it was easily, I, w- I would find this guy. And I said, well, why would you find him? He said, because he was last spotted driving his car. Well, a car is a very easy thing to trace. It has a VIN number. It might still have a license plate on it. It's, you know, unless you paint it, it's always going to be that color. And he said, you know, it's what has bothered me so much about this case is we never found his car. You know, he said for 15 years, every couple of months, I would run it through the system to see if there was a traffic ticket on that car or if it was reported stolen or if it was reported in an accident. Nothing on this car forever. And it boggled his mind. And now the thing is, if you want to think about somebody, I don't know that she would be smart enough to plan this out. Mm-hmm. But if a car is a problem and the detective that I spoke to obviously sees that the car is the solution to finding the person, well, she walked away from that problem that she had, right? And I'm not throwing any theories out there. I'm not saying that that is my theory. I'm just saying it's something that I always go back to because he knew the detective I spoke with knew nothing about this Mara Murray case. I was just picking his brain on from his experience from from all the cases he's covered. Yeah, what was interesting was he actually talked to the detective, and then I got to talk to the detective again. And his first question to me was, why is this mer- missing person case so popular? And I was like, and I, could, I didn't have much of a reason to give him other than it just kind of takes on, once you get sucked in, you're just sucked in forever. I mean, to this day, I mean, whenever you guys' documentary comes out, let me know. I'll, I'll go to. I want to go to the showing. I'll, I'll drive wherever. Oh, awesome! Um, You'll be hearing about uh, it. And yeah. so, so I, you know, I, I think the interesting thing about Mara Murray's case is I, for us, and I'm not for sure. I mean, we might have gave some opinions, but I think they were loose. It's a case for us where we're like, we don't really know, and I, I think that's okay answer to give sometimes. Because yeah. we just don't know, you know. Oh, oh, it's absolutely okay. Not only is it okay, it's the it's the most responsible answer that you can give if you've gone as deep as right. as we've gone in it. You you cannot go this far and say no, this is how it happened because you don't know. Right. There's no way you can know. And and everyone's like, well, what do you think happened? It's like I I know. What I think I know leading up to it and what I think I yeah, know. And that's a, but that's a weird thing about doing a true crime show is like, you know, a lot of people that are tuning in, uh, we'll get a, a lot of requests. But the qu- requests that we're getting are, are cases that are already big that already people talked about. But but you become their friends 
and they want to know their friends' opinions on certain things. And, and I think we actually have a really nice group of friends, group of listeners that they're willing to, we, you know, cause there's two of us. So we disagree sometimes and they're willing to let us slide on some of our opinions. And not always do we do, like you said, do the responsible thing by not giving an opinion. You know, sometimes we say we don't know. And then other times we just go, my gut is telling me yeah. with all the evidence and every which way it's pointing, my gut is telling me this. Isn't that crazy? Like you actually develop a, a gut sense about certain yes. things with, yeah. with this topic. And it's, yeah. a, and it's a feeling that you can't really explain. Yeah. And then when you dive into these stories and you hear people's statements and things they've said, there's people that you tend to trust and don't trust, yet you've never met any of them. Um, and that's where your gut comes in, I guess. Yep. A handful of examples that we're not going to get into, but yeah, when you, when you, you see a, a certain way someone speaks or writes and they're reaching out to you, you know, oh, okay, this, this is, this seems normal right. yeah. and this does not seem normal. This seems like yeah, there's some ulterior motive here. But sometimes just a picture. I mean, we're doing the Madeline McCain. Um, <laughs> I didn't say it right, did I? Madeline McCann. Madeline McCann. I've said I said it wrong for two hours, and I know I said it wrong. <laughs> I physically just can't say it correctly. <laughs> your, oh. brain, your brain can't make that up. I, well, I no, I was like drinking on words. Saturday. <laughs> I have a buddy that's a private investigator, so I met with him and drank with him and went over the show. And uh, you know, so sometimes I got my buddies that they work on cases, and I call them and say, "Hey, this is the case we're doing next." And they go, okay, cool, I'll meet you Thursday. I'll go to the bar and we'll sit there for three, four hours talking about the case because now I get to hear, you know, uh, either a professional's take on things or or maybe it's just a professional web sleuth, but somebody that does their research. And the whole time we're talking on Saturday, I couldn't say it correctly. And I was like, oh, great. That means for two hours I'm going to say it wrong. And the people, people are on Twitter and everything were making fun of me. But, like, with that case, it's weird because – uh you know, the, the father has a blog that he posts like sighting pictures and most of the sighting pictures, I don't get any feeling, but there's one where she's in a convenience store. And for some reason, everything in my body tells me that's that girl. And I can't explain it. It's just, you know, so. Yeah, that's a crazy case. I was listening to those episodes, uh, today and, uh, it's a wild case. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what really what I have to think. The only thing that I kind of really zeroed in on um, as something to that, that I think I can kind of understand is is when they were talking about the dad and I believe the mom too having like like acting too dramatically, you know, put, putting on what they thought was was this performance. Um, but I think that that's so common in these situations and i think like we've heard that about fred murray uh we've even to some extent i think i think bruce maitland even kind of confirmed that that's what it feels like like it almost feels like you're watching yourself uh you know go through these motions because you can't fucking believe what is happening in your world right well what's really interesting to me is you know when she was caught crying on the balcony and then they reported that she was crying too much and that she was making a, she was acting. Right. And then when they hired a PR person to help them, because the police will tell you, Hey, if you get on TV and you're crying too much and you're showing too much emotion, it doesn't help the situation at all. 
So you have to sit in a room and learn how to speak about this girl that went missing. She's a three-year-old girl, and and you're her mother. And if you had nothing to do with it, could you imagine the pain that she would have to be going through by just trying to stay cold? And then she stays cold, and then everybody goes, see, she has no emotion. Yeah, you're crying too much. What's the what's the right amount of crying? Oh, it's a certain kind of hell. There's no doubt yeah, about that. Yeah, and to me, it's like it's as simple as like watch the video footage of them as parents and when she, when she was around them. And they have video footage of that, and it's it's like every normal parent. They seem to be good parents and good people. Let us know what what cases you guys have coming up. Okay, so if somebody's never checked out True Crime Garage before, we, we, we got a lot of praise covering a case we called The Boys on the Tracks. Uh, we did that a couple, what about a four-parter? Yeah. It was a four-parter, yeah. So if you like binge listening, check out The Boys on the Tracks. That's one of those cases. It's a case from Arkansas back from the 80s. Two boys are run over by a train, but then they learn they were already dead before they were put on the tracks. Now, this is one of those cases where you hear it and you're like, why am I only hearing about this now? Why isn't this like one of the most famous true crime cases ever? And it's a strange one because people that have lived in Arkansas since the eighties, they know about it and they've been screaming about it since then. Uh, we were, we were very happy to cover it. We covered the Casey Anthony, which is a little more popular. Well, a lot more popular coming up on the show. We, we look forward to covering a case called the monster of Florence uh, it's it's basically Italy's version of the Zodiac Killer. Um, so that's one that we're really looking forward to. And we're also going to dive into the Texas Killing Fields. Um, and that will be, yeah. So we're, we're looking to do the Monster of Florence in July. And then we will do the Texas Killing Fields in August. person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.